Awesome. So it was about three or four years ago, I got a bank statement. And I looked at my bank statement, and it was like check number 3557, and it was a $28 bill to Perkins. Anybody eating at Perkins? This was actually in Minnesota. The only problem with that is that check number 3557 was my WPS electric bill. And so I'm looking at it going, in my check register, I have... I don't know, what was it, a couple hundred dollars for that? And then I look at my check register, but then I look online and it says $28 to Perkins. And I look at my wife, we haven't eaten in Perkins in like six months. What gives? Turns out we had put our mail overnight in the mailbox. And as I talked to the cops, they had had a huge scam of check washers. Anybody heard of that? Where they come in, they grab your check, they wash it, and then they spend it somewhere else. You kind of feel a little violated. It's what they call identity theft. Then I had another, whoa, hello, there's a chair there. Creeps up on you. So I had another example. I mean, you really do. You feel feel a little violated. I had another example. Um, I was at work, and we had a Capital One credit card at the time, and and all of a sudden, look at my bank statement, and I somehow had, had bought an $800 computer from Illinois that I had no idea I bought. Come to find out that Capital One had sent me three or four, I don't know, three or four weeks prior to that, it looked, I mean, it looked exactly like Capital One. It had all their little slogans and this and that, but it asked for an information update. Bad idea. And so I had filled it out. They rerouted it to these scammers, and they wound up getting a computer. Nevertheless, it was a lot of time, heartache, and hassle to rectify that. I wound up not having to pay that. But once again, you feel violated and you feel duped. And so I look back at that and go, you know, you, you really, you, you think, okay, well, the first thing is I need to be aware that there are scams going on out there. So then as we kind of correlate this to today's message, there is a spiritual identity theft that takes place all the time. And for some of you in this room today, I'm absolutely convinced that you right now There's aspects of your Christian walk that are being stolen right before your very eyes. I mean, it is fascinating just looking at identity theft, how it is even affecting our American culture just in the natural. I mean, think of this. Every four seconds, somebody is a victim of identity theft. Uh, the, The actual definition is to commit fraud and create a phony persona. To create a phony persona and to commit fraud. Uh, Just the statistics on it are are staggering. 11 million Americans annually, $53 billion annually, and it wastes 300 million man-hours a year to resolve it. And then I think about the church and how we have approximately 30 minutes, sometimes 35. Rarely do we ever go 45 unless I'm feeling really long-winded. But we have about 30 to 45 minutes to download something into you and then hope that you translate that in your daily life throughout the week so that you can prevent what we call spiritual identity theft. How many of you know there's a thief? Our master text, if you would, if you need a Bible, John 10.10 is our master text. We've got ushers. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you left it at home, you can borrow one, leave it there. If you don't have a Bible, by all means, keep one, because we definitely want people to have Bibles. But John chapter 10, verse 10, is our master text, and it's a familiar text and it's Jesus talking. And this is, a, this is one that I've learned to memorize. But it says, The thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, meaning Jesus, 
have come to give you life and life abundantly. The word for life there in the Greek is zoe. It means the God kind of life. How many know that there's two types of life you can live here, your life and the God kind of life? I want to live the God kind of life because there's a word called abundantly there, and I like that word. Here's how I frame it. This is the battle. The enemy wants to steal your identity. Jesus wants to reveal your identity. The enemy wants to destroy everything about your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill your dreams, but Jesus comes to fulfill your dreams. The enemy wants to destroy you. Jesus wants to employ you into the destiny he has for you. See the difference? It is crucial then you know exactly how your enemy works and how he steals your identity. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. And I've seen this narrative many times. I've read it. And as I was thinking about how do we kind of, really the two things that, that we need to talk about are, one, what do we need to know? How, do we, how are we aware of the enemy? And then number two, how do I apply that and how to uh, attack that so that I'm not a victim of identity theft? Well, Matthew 3.16 gives us the blueprint. So if you turn there, and this is where Jesus is with John the Baptist. He's at the River Jordan, and he's about to get baptized. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, this is crucial because you have to understand that, yes, Jesus is God, Yes, he is, but he also had to be anointed with power by the Holy Spirit. At this moment, he is given his identity from the Father. You're my son, now go out and kick the devil's tail. But before you do, you have to go somewhere. There's a place in the desert I'm going to take you. Now, I've told you who you are, and you need to know that because for 40 days and 40 nights, you're not going to have anything to eat. And every element of hell is going to come against you. So you better know who you are because he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So here we are. The very next verse, Matthew 4, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If, if, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here's the identity thief number one. It is this, self-sufficiency. Because really what the enemy was asking him to do was, Jesus, you're the man, you just take these stones, you can do it, you can make it happen. And what Jesus was saying right back to him is that when the enemy comes and bombs him with a lie, here's what he does, he says, it is written. That means that this word of God right here is not just a book. This is your weapon, it is a combat tool, that when the chips are down 
and you are hungry, and you are angry, and you are lonely, and you are tired, halt. Use the book and use it as a weapon. So he says, hey, it's written. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And his sufficiency, he answered that because he knew who he was. He knew he was God, but he knew, he knew that he had to play by the rules. Philippians 2 says that he stripped himself of his divine privileges. So that means that he had to show us the way on how to live in this life, playing by the rules of this life. So he wasn't operating as God. He was anointed by the Spirit of God in the desert and went hand-to-hand with our enemy. Here's the questions that you have to answer here. Identity thief number one is self-sufficiency. What are your ifs? If I just lost more weight. Notice that word if. It's always going to challenge your identity, who you are. If I had more money, if I had a stable job, if I had the perfect soulmate. If you find one, you won't, right? Too many people trade in instead of staying in. If I had more friends, if I had more hair, if I didn't have these wrinkles, if I wasn't this old, if I wasn't this young, if I was famous, if I was rich, if I was powerful, if, if, if I, 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 I can make it happen. I'll just get more Botox. I'll do anything I can to make it happen to make me feel good because I'm sufficient in me. That's the lie. Here's, if I do this, then people will accept me and love me and honor me if I do these things. But you notice, he didn't say, this is my beloved son because he does all these great things. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said it first that you are my son. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And once you know who you are, Jesus, now you're going to go and do what I've asked you to do. There's a huge difference between having to and want to. And when you know who you are, you get to. And winning is the byproduct in this world. And so the identity theft message is we aren't good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not attractive enough, we're not powerful enough. Here's a quote from Reese Witherspoon, an actress in 2010. This is an exact quote from her. She's been in a lot of movies. She says, I have absolute amnesia about every movie I have ever made. I won't watch them because if I did, I would spiral into a state of self-hate. Wow. 49-year-old actress Demi Moore, the most bankable starlet in Hollywood in the 80s and 90s, chronically battles anorexia and drug addiction. She's lost. The fruit of it shows that. But Jesus has the answer for that. Her identity is not in who she dates, her not in who she knows, not in how much she makes. How many understand that there are people out there looking to know who they are because the devil's blinded them from who they are? Now, that's a person that's not saved. I'm going to speak to the ones in this house that are saved. You know who you are, but you've been bought, you've been sold a bill of goods, and you're listening to the enemy when you need to be hearing this word. You are my son and my daughter. I am well pleased with you. Yeah, but Ryan, you don't understand what I've done. I don't want to hear about what you've done. You go to God with that. 
You tell them, because here's what the devil does. He'll come in with condemnation. Uh, let's say you make a mistake, you goof up. Here's how the devil works. Well, what kind of Christian do you think you are? You know what I do? I say, I say okay, devil, I made a mistake, but I'm not a mistake. I'm a child of the Most High God. Condemnation is straight from the pit of hell, and you can go right back there where you came from. I am the redeemed. And, and I'll serve you notice, I don't have to make that same mistake again. There's power in that. When you own the lie and say, well, I, you know, I goofed up. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. But there is a huge difference between saying, I made a mistake and I am a mistake. People are living their lives. They've been bought a bill of goods from their childhood, maybe an innocent word from a parent one time that said something off the cuff like, you're never going to amount to anything, and they buy that lie for the rest of their life, and they can't work hard enough, fast enough, or make enough money to overcome that lie. They're always trying to prove something. As a pastor, I see this, and it breaks my heart. Because I want to say, stop. Your self-sufficiency is robbing you. Your God loves you so much. He wants you to know who you are. Once you know who you are, what you do will change. In high school, I can remember, that was, seems like eons ago, but in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, um, one of the things that, that, back when I had more hair, I had the little spiky hairdos, and you know, you had the mullets, and how many here had a mullet? Anybody have a mullet in here? I don't think ladies probably had a mullet back then, but you know, in high school, you know, you think, you think okay, well, I just can't wait till I get out of high school because then the peer pressure will cease and I don't have to conform and you feel like such a chameleon and you, you go from this group over here to this group and, you know, you betray this group to go over to this group and then, you know, you, you're always trying like a chameleon to fit, fit in. So many people think that that ends when high school ends. Guess what? It doesn't until you figure this out. Your identity is in Christ. And here's the ultimate identity theft. In fact, this is one you might want to write down. Here's the lie. If, remember that word if. If you are God's child, prove it, earn it, and show you deserve it. That is a lie straight from hell. Jesus would say something like this. You are my beloved child because... I proved it, I earned it, you don't deserve it, but I give it to you freely. Can anyone receive that? Agreed. You know, there's a thing, uh, I was talking to Pastor Arnie, he, he did a message similar to this, and he talked about this thing called LifeLock, have you heard of it, where it protects your identity theft? Uh, and uh, there's a guy that actually will drive around with the social security number all the way across Washington, D.C., daring people, because he's so confident in this LifeLock that they can't steal your identity. And so I thought about that, and we were talking about that. This is your life lock. The Bible is your life lock. I'm not saying bad things won't ever happen to you. What I am saying is that when they happen to you, and they will because this world we live in has fallen, when they happen to you, you have life lock that says, I'm secure in what he says, not what my employer says, not what hurtful words from those close to us say, but what he says. 
You've got to have your ears in the moment when, the, when everything is coming against you. You have to know these words. So I, and this is so important that I want, you to, I want you to see how, this is your combat right here. It's the words in Christ. I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to read these to you. Maybe I'll put these on the web or something at some point. These are huge. When you're being attacked, here's you who you are. If you're a Christ follower and Jesus is your Lord, this is your inheritance. In Christ, I am loved. I am accepted. I am redeemed and forgiven. And these are all scriptural backings here. I am free from condemnation. I am a new creation. I'm the righteousness of God. Yes, you are. I don't want to hear I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner in this church anymore. You are not. You are a saint if you have received Christ. I just tipped over some religious cows with that statement, but it's an absolute fact. Don't tell me how awful you are. Get over it and change. I'm God's child. I'm Jesus' friend. I have direct access to God. I'm a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Hallelujah. I'm a temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in me. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. Scriptural reference. I'm chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I'm established, anointed, and sealed by God. I don't have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of sound mind. I've been given great and precious promises. I've been given God's authority over the enemy. Behind every lie and every bad choice we make is a lie that we believe. Do you know that? Every wrong decision, every bad choice that you make is a lie that you believe. And what I want you to do is I finish out this message here. I'm about halfway through. I want the Holy Spirit to start talking to you about these little lies and these areas of self-sufficiency. Because see, what, what the devil did in that hand-to-hand combat, his number one mission was to talk Jesus out of who he was. If he can do that, the truth was he was the son of God. Nothing was going to change that. The only thing that could have changed that, and he was truly tempted, is if he would have done what the enemy asked him to do. And so if you believe a lie, even though it is true that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that you are free from the dominion of sin, that you don't have to go on doing that all the time, if you know that, the only way the enemy can defeat you is if he gets you to believe it's not true. But guess what? It is true. If you have Christ, it's true. Let's go to identity thief number two. We pick up the story, Matthew 4, verse 5. Now we see the second test of Jesus, and we see identity thief number two. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, there it is again, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So here we go again. Jesus' identity is being challenged. I mean, the audacity of the devil. And then it hit me. It just hit me. If our enemy is that arrogant to attack the Son of God on his identity, do we really think that he won't attack us about ours? I mean, it's just like revelation. Like, I knew that, but then one day I got it. 
wow, the light bulb went on. And I realized this is how he's going to hit me. So here's the identity thief number two we see in this text. It's called bad religion. Bad religion kills. Bad religion is man manipulating godly principles into their own image. For instance, have you ever, have you ever heard people, I'm just going to work the formula, work the formula, work the formula, and make God do what I want him to do? If you just turn these stones, if you just do this, if you, if you jump from the tower, if, 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 if. Now, there are spiritual laws that God sets in motion. That's true. But when it comes to eternal salvation, there's nothing that you can do to manipulate God. There's no, and there's a lot of bogus religion out there. There's a lot of religion out there that all points back to you making it happen. It's called works-based theology. It's also called legalism. So if you do this, because really, you're not a Christian. Because Christians don't act like that. Well, here's the truth. The truth is, we all act stupid at times. We all make mistakes at times. But what keeps us from the bondage and the continual dominion of sin is when we own it, we get rid of it, and we live, and we, we life lock it and say it's over. It's forgiven, it's over. But bad religion, Satan comes with the if statements. Here's another one. People sometimes believe it's God's will to kill people. Bad religion? Twin Towers? Sometimes they believe it's God's will to put sickness on them. If God is good all the time, how could sickness be good? People believe sometimes it's God's will to stay impoverished. If that's the case, why are we helping people all across the world trying to feed them, clothe them, nurture them, cherish them, if that's God's will? Do you see what kind of hogwash that is? Twisting scriptures like the enemy does. And what's interesting is this time in the second narrative, the devil uses scripture. Do you know that the devil knows scripture about as good, if not better, than most Christians? He's just been perverting it for years. People sometimes believe it's God's will to keep their minds oppressed. Well, I've always been depressed, therefore I always will be depressed. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. People sometimes believe it's God's will to keep their relationships in strife. Well, this is the way we always have been. This is the way we will always be. We just fight a lot. You know what? You don't have to. We don't have to do that. The identity of Christ in you you be the change first and watch what God can do. Too many people are looking at everyone else and they should be looking inward. Look at who you are in Christ and watch God work in you. You can't control that other person. Or all of this to learn patience. That's just nonsensical theology. To have all of that garbage and it's preached subtly. There is one thing that you need to know in Christ and the key words in Christ, I and you, we are free. No debate. You're free. Ali, Ali, in, come free. Bad religion twists things. Remember what John 10, 10 says. Every time, see, the devil makes God look like he's the bad guy. Bad religion does that. That's an identity thief. John 10, 10 says the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
And here's a little thing about there. Here's a factoid. Abundantly, in heaven, there's plenty of abundance. We need it here. It bugs me. It bugs me when kids in Green Bay, Wisconsin, have nothing to eat. And it bugs me when kids in Tunisia have nothing to eat. That is not God's will. It is not God's will to have dictators across the seas oppressing people, not allowing freedom to be there. If the church would stand up and be the church, let me tell you, those dictators would collapse. Then we'd get some people fed. But are we just to sit back and say, well, that's just the way it always is? Not for this house. Time's too short. I will not allow the enemy to steal our identity as a church. I will not. Bad religion can kill relationships. Bad religion steals your identities, kills your dreams, and destroys God's purpose. Again, what does Jesus do? Reveal your identity, fulfill your dreams that he gave you, and employ you for his purpose and plan, not yours. Identity three, number, two, number three, let's move on. Matthew 4, verse 8. Here's the, the third part to this. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Notice in the third one, he's given up trying to attack Jesus' identity. He's like, all right, I'm switching the game plan now. No more of that. He just says, I just want you to bow down and worship me. So now he, he realizes that Jesus knows who he is. This, I'm speaking to the Christian who knows who they are. Now I'm talking to you. You know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. But now you're going to be tempted to take a shortcut you're going to be tempted to compromise in some areas. Ask me how I know. Don't think for a second that the enemy always wants to compromise. Well, you know, Pastor, if you just ease up on that sin stuff, you could have four, five, six, ten services. Because after all, Pastor, it's nice to be liked and everyone goes, like your messages, and just feel good. The incomes will go up. You know, don't talk about, don't challenge them on giving or, you know, loving people. Just tell them a feel-good message, make them feel good, burp them out the door, and they'll just keep coming. Or here's one. Here's a bunch of cash, if you'll just do it this way. Can anybody relate in your line of work what I'm talking about? Shortcuts? And it's so, those are, the, those are like the big ones. But then there's little ones. There's, there's compromise. Jesus, you have an identity. You have a plan. We, okay, you are the man, but now I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Here's the interesting thing. Satan at that moment had authority to hand that to him. A lot of people don't realize that, yes, Jesus, God is sovereign. But in this world, when Adam committed high treason, he gave his authority to the devil. So now Jesus in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy, is saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he's taken back. And at the cross, he finished him off. 
made a spectacle of him. So now our God-given rights, once he died on the cross and resurrected, lived a perfect, sinless life, those privileges that we lost in the garden are now ours to employ once again in Christ. You just have a, the problem is, is that we have this little thing called the flesh. And the flesh likes to be appeased. Here's a few that you may struggle with. Culture. Culture is, 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 is in so many ways for pastors, especially when you're preaching to it, we can either receive culture into our church, we can reject culture, or we can redeem culture. And sometimes pastors can blur the lines. And we can try to be so relevant and hip to try to reach people that we become unbiblical. On the other hand, there's other areas in our lives where if you're not walking the way God wants you to walk and you're not using this and knowing your identity, it's hard to get excited about this and use it as a defense if you're never in it. So what the devil does, his scheme is, I'm going to make the Bible boring. I'm going to make pastors boring. I'm going to make them condemning. Pastors can compromise. Do you realize I face the same stuff? Every pastor in our church faces that same thing. We always have a, a way, an opportunity to do what's right or do what's wrong. We can compromise on anything. Compromise is always lurking at our door. Shortcuts. Here's another example. You'll be broke unless you compromise your ethics in business. You won't have any friends if you take a stand for right things. This church, here, here, here's, here's something that with this election cycle, what you will be hearing about is why God honors life. Why God honors the marriage between one man and one woman. There's no debate about that. It's all scriptural. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. Hogwash, in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says... I am, I am, uh, the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. You know who the word is? The Bible says the word is Jesus. So if Jesus is the word and Jesus wrote the Old Testament, Jesus spoke about those issues. Ready for that? Homosexuality is a sin, but we love these sinners. So if you know someone who's a homosexual, bring them here. We'll love them here. We just won't condone the lifestyle. Just like people who've come to our church over the years that are living together and doing other things. It's not, see, we centralize one sin and we make a big deal out of it. Do you know that God loves us all for all sins that we commit? And if we throw one out, then we're throwing the others out. I might as well get out too. But we can't compromise. We can't just sit back and say, culture, come on in, and uh, we want to build big congregations and we'll never address it from the pulpit because we don't want to offend anybody. Can I just tell you, let's be real. Jesus offended half the people he talked to. He offended them so much, they crucified him. Other key areas of compromise is unforgiveness. This is the big one. You say, well, how in the world is that a shortcut? You know how it's a shortcut? Because what you're doing is that as soon as you, this is a shortcut, you want judgment pronounced on that person at all costs. How do I know that? Because you're holding it in deep. You, so, so what you're saying is, God, I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to put them in jail. 
because I have a right to, because after all, I've been hurt. Many of you have justifiable hurts. But you are taking it and taking God himself. You are taking the role of God and trying to execute judgment when you have no business doing that. You release it and give it to him. That is an area of compromise. Here's another one, impatience. We have to have it now. I want it now. I don't want it tomorrow. I don't want to wait because, God, I have to have it now. I mean, here's me at the microwave, you know. Right? Impatience. Jesus was presented an opportunity to take a shortcut. If the thief could get him, it could steal his patience. It could have thwarted God's plan. What is that? This is the place of rest and trust. And, and, I, and I, I, let's go back real quick. I want to read that again. What did Jesus say? Here he is. He says, he didn't fool around. He says, away from me, Satan. And then what does he say? For it is written. Do you see how important it is to get in the Bible? You know, this, I used to look at this as a, a, just a, a lot of feel-good stories and there was some action adventure, a few beheadings, some Davids and Goliaths. But once I got into it and I realized this isn't, this is a love letter. He loves you so much, he's given, he knows you have an adversary, so use this love letter against your enemy. The cross was Jesus' identity. He had to go to the cross. He couldn't shortcut that. He had to have patience. There was a time when he had to face the enemy head on at that cross. He knew it was his destiny. Remember what the devil does. He comes to steal your identity. He comes to kill your dreams. He comes to destroy and thwart God's plan. But Jesus comes. What does Jesus come to do? Reveal who you are. Jesus comes to reveal who you are. Fulfill your God-given dreams. Notice I said God-given, not your dreams, God-given. To fulfill, Jesus came to fulfill your God. Jesus came to employ, not destroy, God's plan for your life. Polar opposites. The last one I want to hit on is past hurts. Sorrow. I believe there's people in this room today because the Lord put it on my heart. You have not faced your pain. And so the identity thief is this. Let's take a shortcut. Let's compromise. Let's fill our minds and our hearts with everything else, but actually dealing with it head on. You need to face your pain. You need to face your sorrow. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I have no clue what it is for you. He does. Deep, deep hurt. Deep, deep pain. Some of you have it with God. You just do. And I'll tell you, when I had it with God and I had it out with God, you say, well, how did you have it out with God? I did. I got honest. I said, God, this sucks. I don't like this. This isn't right. I'm mad. Uh, well, how could you do this to me? And you know, in the, in the bottom of my heart, I knew that it wasn't him and he is good all the time. But sometimes you just have to be like David and say, Lord, I'm angry. I'm upset. This isn't right. I don't get it. I'm mad. And I'm mad at you for not fixing it. So what do you do? You compromise and you try to make it happen. So you make everyone else pay. This is not God's plan. That's how he steals from you. 
where have you bought the lie? Have you bought the lie that your worth is based on what you do? Have you bought the lie that my title gives me definition? My title, I have a title. Is your title your identity? Or what you have? Is your identity wrapped up in what people think of you? Are you a people pleaser? Where's the lie? Remember, an identity thief wants to commit fraud and create a phony persona. Let me ask you this. Where are you phony? Where are you phony? As the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate that, I want to ask you to write it down later today. I want you to write down the lie that you that the Holy Spirit's bringing up to you right now. You don't have to do it here. Do it later. Where's the lie? Some of the things that we've mentioned. He's going to talk to you about that. And then what you're going to do, we're going to pray over you. And then what you're going to do later today is you're going to replace that with the truth of what God's Word says about that lie. So you've exposed it. And then you're going to have preventive maintenance, your life lock. And your life is going to change. I mean, the situation will change. I'm not saying your life's going to be perfect. It's not. I just feel right now unforgiveness is leaving the room right now. Past sorrows and hurts are gone in the name of Jesus. Stuff that you've been having to feel like you've had to make it happen for years and people who have built you up and, and, and torn you down and, and you, you had fathers and mothers or you didn't have fathers that didn't give you an identity so you've been trying to make an identity for years. Let me just tell you, that's not the truth. The truth is you have significance because of who you are in Christ, not what you do. Titles don't own you. Unforgiveness doesn't own you. Compromise doesn't own you. Bad religion doesn't own you. Father, I thank you that freedom is happening right here. I thank you that the lies are being exposed and the truth will set them free. I declare prosperity I don't shy from that word. I declare people's lives forever changed. That there's going to be significant repentance of saying, I've been all caught up in this. And I see it. I finally see it. And I'm going to change. And I'm going to let Christ in me change me. Because I know I have worth now, not based on what I do, but because of who I am. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Christ has set me free from the curse of the law. I don't, I don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for me. I received that. And now I take on his supernatural giftings and the things that he did, I can do because I can do all things in Christ. And so those past sorrows, God, I've gotten them out. We're good. We're at peace. Release them, Lord, right now. Holy Spirit, just begin to touch them. That If there's hardness of heart, you would lift them up. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.